good morning, everybody, and welcome out to the third part of a conversation that we've been in for the past couple of weeks that we've been calling Questioning uh, Jesus. And kind of like what Sarah Beth just mentioned a moment ago here on the stage, if you are a guest with us here today, if it's your first time here this morning, we just want to extend a very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we count it an absolute privilege that you would carve out some time and spend your Sunday morning uh, here with us. And so if you are a guest with us, or if you have maybe missed the past couple of weeks, let me just kind of catch you up to speed with what it is that we've been talking about here in this conversation, in this series that we've been calling Questioning Jesus. Uh, so what we've been doing is we've really been looking at uh, what we said are really some of the most penetrating questions that Jesus asked. And so in this series, we said that it, we're coming to Jesus, uh, not so much as the ones asking the questions, uh, but instead we are coming to Jesus as those who are being questioned. And so we are looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked, and we're kind of processing through those uh, together. And so uh, if you were with us the past couple of weeks, you might remember, we said that, man, when you go through the Gospels, when you kind of go through the biographies of the life of Jesus in the Bible, we said you find some fascinating things as it relates to Jesus and questions. And so we said this, we said that all throughout the Gospels, we find that Jesus asked a total, a staggering total of 307 questions. So we said, man, when you go through the Gospels, you come to realize that Jesus asked just a mind-blowing amount of questions. And we said, kind of interesting, in contrast to that, Jesus himself was asked 183 questions. And we said that, man, when Jesus would interact with people, most often he was the one who was doing the questioning. And so Jesus just asked a ton of questions. And we said, this is interesting, that of the 183 questions that Jesus was asked, he rarely would give a direct answer to someone. And we said most often when Jesus would get asked a question, he would answer a question with a question. We said a lot of times Jesus would answer a question with a parable, which a parable is kind of like a short story to illustrate a truth. And then he would oftentimes end the parable with a question. And so we said, man, Jesus really implemented uh, the art of asking questions as one of the primary tools of his teaching. And so we said this, we said most likely the reason that Jesus asked so many questions throughout the gospels was not because he was seeking information. Uh, most likely the reason that Jesus asked so many questions is because he was seeking transformation. Uh, that Jesus being the wise teacher that he is, that Jesus being the wise counselor that he is, he understands what many of us have found, and that is the benefit and the power of asking a penetrating question. I think many of us know this, uh, that the right question has the power to create a total and complete mental turnaround for some of us. Uh, there's nothing quite like the power of a great question. It causes us to rethink things, rethink things that we assume. It causes us to call into question many things that we just tend to kind of assume are real. And so Jesus asked so many questions, again, not for information, but for transformation. So in this series, what we're doing then is we said we've just kind of picked some of the most penetrating questions that Jesus asked. And our hope is that as we process these questions together, that again, the goal wouldn't be that we acquire more information, but that ultimately this will lead to greater transformation in our lives as well. So if you've been with us each week, we've been focusing on a question that Jesus asked. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at one question. Last week, we looked at another question. And by the way, if you missed the past couple of weeks, I'd encourage you, you can go to our website. Uh, you can download the podcast. You can watch the videos. You can do all of that. Of course, all of that is for free and is for you. And uh, we'd encourage you to take advantage of that. But today, as we continue in this series, we're going to look at a third question that Jesus asked, or maybe a better way to put it is we're actually going to look at a third grouping of questions that Jesus asked. And the passage that we're going to find that is, is in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me? And we're going to turn together this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be headed. And of course, again, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, uh, that is no problem at all. 
Uh, we actually have some Bibles provided for you. Uh, they should be in those chairs there, kind of underneath you or in front of you. And you can turn in those black Bibles to page 679. Uh, that is where you will find Matthew chapter 6. And of course, let me just also say that if you don't own a Bible, like if you just don't have a copy of God's Word, we think it's super important that you have one. And so you can just take one of ours. You can make that a gift from us to you. And I uh, think it's important that you have a Bible. You can take it with you, write your name in it, read it. We'd, we'd want you to do that. So Matthew 6, go ahead and flip there. And like I said, what we're going to find in this passage is not just a question, but we're going to find a grouping of questions. Uh, but these questions all surround one particular topic. And the topic that this, the questions we're going to find are all about is really this idea of questioning worry. Okay, so the whole conversation that we're going to see today centers around this topic. It's about worry and anxiety and the fear that can oftentimes be associated with worry. Now, I know for many of us in this room, the moment I say, man, today we're going to be talking a little bit about worry and about anxiety, uh, for some of us, that is immediately relevant uh, to our lives. I think for all of us, to some degree or another, uh, worry, anxiety, fear associated with worry is a normal part of our lives. Uh, but I would also say that there are many of us that maybe this is a daily part of our lives. And so uh, I think this is relevant to a lot of us. In fact, I'll just tell you personally, I'm really excited about getting an opportunity to, to kind of talk through this message today. I was real excited for an opportunity to study this this past week, uh, partly because uh, personally, man, this is something I struggle with. And uh, when you talk about worry and anxiety, as long as I can remember, uh, I have been a person that when I wake up, uh, from the moment I wake up, I usually wake up anxious. And I don't know if it's a personality thing. I don't know what kind of thing it is, but it's just kind of part of the way it's always been for me. And so I, I tell you that to tell you that, man, I need this message as much, if not more, than many of you here today. And so excited about getting a chance to jump into this. And I would also just say, uh, before we jump into this, that if you're a person who has like an anxiety disorder, if you've been diagnosed that way or something, um, I think this message is going to be hugely helpful for you as well as everybody. Uh, but I also just want to mention that we would no way and discourage you uh, from getting medical attention for those things. There is a place for that. We really do think that. And, uh, but that, that also, I think what Jesus says here, though, is valuable for all of us. And so why don't we do this? Let's have a word of prayer. And then uh, after we pray, we'll talk to God. We'll jump into this passage and uh, we'll, we'll start to look at some of the questions about worry. Let's do that. Well, God, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to uh, just to be able to come here today and to be able to process through your words to us as it relates to worry. And uh, God, we, you know, we're here to meet with you. That's what we want. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to uh, interact with you and experience you in a fresh way in our lives. And so, God, I know that for many of us, we talk about worry, we talk about anxiety. This is right where we live. And so I pray that you would help us make connections today. Help us to understand what's at the root and at the heart of our worry, and I pray that we would allow you to question us and question our worry, uh, that that might lead to greater transformation in our lives. And so uh, we want to lift this up to you. We want to ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So uh, when I, after I graduated from college, I went to college in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for another year, and then I moved back to Ohio. And so when I moved back here to Ohio, I did not have a car because as you can imagine, living in the city, it's right downtown, I didn't need a car. So I would take the train, I'd walk everywhere, didn't really need a car. Well, when you move back to Ohio, you have to have a car. You can't get anywhere if you don't have a car. And so I moved back here, I didn't have a car and I didn't have much money. And so I remember I started to look for just the cheapest alternative that I could find until I could make some more money and get a different car. And so I ended up finding this truck. It was a Chevy S10, 1984 Chevy S10. And get this, I got this thing for 400 bucks. Bought this thing for 400 bucks. And let me see if I can put this nicely. The nicest way to put it would be, 
it was worth what I paid for it, all right? So this truck, this truck was, uh, it was the biggest piece of junk I've ever owned, like uh, easily the, the junkiest car I've ever had. So this thing, just to give you some picture, from the moment that I got it, it was already rusted out like crazy. And so the, I remember driving in the truck, the floorboards, uh, there was places where it had rusted all the way through and you could see the road, which was actually somewhat helpful sometimes. Like if you dropped a, fl- a fry on the floor, you could just like throw it through the hole and it'd be fine, you know, and that kind of thing. So it had rusted out that way. I remember after having it for about two months, it, the frame had rusted so, so badly that the bed of the truck started to droop. And so if you looked at the truck from the side, it looked like someone just kind of snapped it in half. And uh, the thing was all rusted out. The muffler kept getting new rust holes. And so my brother, my brother's a welder. And so we would try to weld it and fix it. And then it would rust again. And it just kept, so it was really loud. And it was, you know, really, and the exhaust smelled. Like if you were sitting in the cab of the truck, you would get nauseated sometimes because uh, of, of the fumes of that whole thing. And it, the thing had terrible acceleration, right? I mean, it went like, it went zero to 60, like eventually, you know, like over time. <laughs> It would go zero to 60. And that was just my truck. And it's crazy. As junky as this thing was, I actually kind of liked it because I just did not care about this thing. And, and so, for example, whenever something would fall off or something would happen, it was like whatever duct tape and, and coat hangers could fix, like that's the way that I would resolve it. So duct tape all over this thing. I remember one time I was driving down the road and the bumper, it just, I hit a bump or something and the bumper just fell off. And so I got out, and, and me and my buddies, we actually, we got coat hangers, and we, we somehow attached the bumper back to the back of the truck through the rust holes in the back of the tailgate. Like, we just kind of wove it through there. So it was just hanging on the back, and it, it became like the joke to us. Not, like, my friends would all joke around about my crappy truck, and I would laugh about it. I'm like, yeah, my truck. And I remember this one time, I was at a party, and my, my truck was in the parking lot, and, uh, and one of my buddies accidentally backed up and hit the side of my truck. And I remember he came into the party, and he was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I just backed up. I think I hit your truck. He's like, it's, I have insurance. We can call the insurance company. And I just looked at him, and I was like, dude, it's like, I don't care about my truck. Have you seen my truck? Right? Have you seen the bumper? And, uh, and I was in, it was, we just didn't care about it. I remember actually one time, I was on 18, just right down here in Fairlawn, and I was driving. I got pulled over uh, by a cop. And this cop was awesome. But he pulled me over, and I remember he came up to my window and I rolled down my window, and I was like, what seems to be the problem, officer? I was like, I, I know I wasn't speeding, you know, because I can't. And, uh, you know, and it was awesome because he, he said to me, this is, I love this guy. He said to me, he goes, he goes listen, man, he goes, I don't even know where to start. He goes, you got to get this thing off the road. <laughs> and I was like, because it was, that, it was like that bad. So needless to say, long story short, after having this for a very short time, that truck went home to be with Jesus as it should have. And so I ended up getting enough money and I went and I got a different car. I didn't get a new car, but I got a newer car. And for me, up to this point in my life, it was the nicest car I ever owned. Uh, there was everything worked correctly. Uh, there was no rust. There was no duct tape on anything. So to me, this was like luxury sedan, you know? And so I noticed when I got this car, I started to do things that I had never done before. And so, for example, I noticed that I started to vacuum it. I had never done that with my truck, partly because I was afraid that the floor would come up if I did that, you know. But I never did. I, I started to wash it. I remember I started to park, like if I would go to the store or something, I would park way away from all the other cars because I was a little nervous that they were going to hit my car. And I would walk the extra distance. I remember sometimes when I was at work, I would glance out the window just to make sure that my car was okay. 
right? At least for the first couple of months that I had it when the newness was still there. I remember when people would get in my car, all of a sudden I had a different level of care. So I'd be like, hey, it's cool if you ride with me, but like you can't eat in my car, all right? Because I don't have the holes in the floorboard that you can throw stuff through. So we're not doing that anymore. And I just noticed that that happened. Now, why do I tell you that? The reason I tell you that is because, well, most likely you can relate to that. Uh, maybe you've had an experience like that with a car or, you know, whatever, an instrument or a house or something like that, right? But the reason I tell you that is because it reveals a very interesting connection uh, between, uh, as it relates to worry. And this is the connection that Jesus is going to make for us, but that's this. Did you ever notice that the more that we value something, the more we worry about it? Did you ever notice that there is a direct link between that which we value and that which we worry about? Did you ever notice that? Maybe another way to put it would be this. I think the things that we worry about the most, it probably, our worry probably reveals to us that those are the things that we value the most. Now, like I said, this is not an original connection or an original thought. This is actually what Jesus says. And let, let me show you what Jesus says. In the passage we're about to look at, Jesus is going to be teaching on worry, okay? And, and, and I want you to notice where Jesus starts his teaching on worry. He starts his teaching in a very fascinating place by making a very interesting connection that I think for many of us, we might not naturally make. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is going to start teaching about worry. Now, let me give you a little broader context. This is in the context of a big sermon that Jesus is giving called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he covers a bunch of different topics. And now he gets to the topic of worry. And here's how he begins. Really fascinating place to start a conversation on worry. He says, no one can serve two masters. Some of you might be familiar with this passage. No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and you're going to love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus is beginning his conversation on worry, and do you notice he brings up the topic of money? Well, why does he do that? Well, I think it's because Jesus is probably pretty wise. It's probably pretty insightful. And Jesus probably knows what maybe some of you know, and that is this, that the number one thing that people worry about today in America, according to statistics, is money. So I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. Which, by the way, quick side note, if you have an older translation of the Bible, like the King James, it might say this, you can't serve both God and mammon, which mammon is a weird word, isn't it? But the word mammon is actually probably a better translation. And the word mammon literally means, it means money, yes, but it means more than that. It means physical possessions and goods, earthly goods. And so that could be your car, it could be your house, it could be your job, it could be your money, it could be whatever. It means all of that. But notice what Jesus says, because this is a really interesting connection that he makes. He says, no one can serve two masters. Now notice how strong his language is. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. To which many of us would say, well, that's pretty strong. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I hate God and love money or love God and hate money. I don't know if I'd say it that way. But you see, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you cannot be, and this is, this is a key word, you cannot be fully devoted, you cannot be fully devoted to two things. You can't. You can, you can like two things. You can enjoy two things. You, can enjoy, you can't be fully devoted. You can't serve. You can't be mastered by two things. And so Jesus begins his teaching on worry in a very strange place. Can't serve two masters. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does next because this is a very, very fascinating connection. Verse 20, 25, he says this. Therefore, therefore. Now, the word therefore, as many of us know, it is a direct, a direct reference to what has been previously said. 
So you can't serve masters. Can't, can't serve two masters. Can't serve God and stuff. Can't do it. Therefore, he says, don't worry about your life, about what you're going to eat, about what you drink, about your body, about what you wear. In other words, don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your mammon, as he would kind of say in this passage. Now, do you see the connection that Jesus is making? Because this is a really significant connection. I think what Jesus is telling us is this, that our worry reveals our devotion. Or, Or maybe I'll put it another way. That which we are the most devoted to is what we worry about the most. I'll put it another way. What you worry about the most is a window into that which you're devoted to. And so what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, if you really want to know what's going on in your heart, where the, center, where the centerpiece of, of what it is that you value and what you're devoted to and what you're mastered by, he says, you can just look at your worry because your worry is a window into what you're devoted to. So before we move on and look at some of the questions that Jesus is going to ask, I have a couple of questions that I would like to first ask to kind of get our minds going in the right direction, right? So here's a couple of questions I want you to ask if you want to ask yourself, okay? Here's the first one. Ask yourself this question, just in your own heart, and your own mind. What do I worry about the most? So just think about that for a minute. What do you worry about the most? What tends to be the thing that fills you with most anxiety, the thing that you lay in bed at night and think about and mull over that sometimes costs you sleep? What is it that you worry about the most? Now, I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question for yourself. But I could probably give you a couple of ideas. I could probably guess a few of them because there are some really common things that we worry about. So for example, maybe you're a person that what you worry about most is money. And, and like I had mentioned, that is the number one thing according to, to statistics that Americans worry about is money. Maybe that's you. It's maybe the thing that you lay in bed at night that you worry about, that you're concerned about, that causes to, you get a pit in your stomach is the whole conversation about money. And so you're nervous, man, I'm not sure I'm gonna have enough. I'm not, I'm not sure we're gonna make ends meet. Maybe for you, it's am I gonna have enough to eventually live the rest of my life? And so we're worried about retirement, worried about my investments, worried about my 401k. And we find ourselves concerned. That's what we lay in bed about. That's what we think about, right? We mull over that together. For some of us, maybe it's your job. It's something related to your job. Maybe you own a business. Maybe you own a company. Uh, maybe, maybe whatever it is, job security, all of those things that are kind of, maybe that's what you lay in bed at night, you think about it. It puts a pit in your stomach. You're worried about it. Here's a big one. If you're a parent, maybe it's your kids, Worried about your kids, worried about their education, worried about their development, worried about their safety. By the way, those are good things to be concerned about, obviously, as parents, but you're worried about them. They keep you up at night. You start to play out scenarios in your mind of things that could happen, but they never really have happened, and you find yourself concerned and full of anxiety and worry about that with your kids. It's a common one. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're a single person, and, and the thing that you worry about the most, quite honestly, is your singleness. And you're like, man, I, I don't want to be in this situation. And is that person ever going to come along? And is there a person out there for me? And I don't want to live in this. And, and that consumes your thoughts. That's the thing that you worry about the most. Maybe for some of you, the thing you worry about the most is what other people think of you. It, it's, the, it's your reputation. And so you lay in bed at night and you're like, man, I don't, what, you know, what, if, what does that person think? And why did they say that on Facebook? And why, why did that one person comment on my, you know, my, my Instagram account? I don't even know if you can comment on Instagram. It shows you how much I know about social media. Can you comment on Instagram? Can you? Okay, yeah, some of you know. Most of you don't. So you're like me, right? But yeah, like you're like concerned about what people think about me, concerned about that stuff. Like I said, I don't know what, what it is that you worry about. My question is, Just think about it. What do you worry about the most? Now, here's my question. Because if Jesus says 
that what we're the most devoted to is what we worry about the most, then here's my, my secondary question. What does my worry, ask yourself, what does my worry reveal about my devotion? Okay, so I'm, I'm, if I'm worried about this, what does that say about what I value, about what I'm devoted to, about what masters me, all right? That's just a question I want you to think about, and I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, because now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to go through, and he's going to help us process through worry, and he's going to ask us some very probing questions, I think, to help us understand how to help overcome worry. So let's look at verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, again, can't serve two masters, verse 24, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And that seems like a pretty general statement. So he clarifies what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're bo- uh, what about, about your body or about what you're going to wear. Now, let me just kind of clarify right here. I think it's probably important for me to mention that Jesus was teaching to a very specific audience in a very specific culture. And so the society in which Jesus was teaching to here was very much a hand-to-mouth society. And so the, the concerns and the worries of the people of this time would have been different from the concerns and worries of people in our culture. And so what Jesus lists here are what the most common worry points would be for these people, right? What you're going to eat. A lot of these people were real worried about knowing where their next meal was going to come from. Your body or what you're going to wear. A lot of these people were real concerned, not about fashion, but they were concerned about making sure that their kids had enough clothes to wear to get them through the different seasons. Now, again, this was a different culture. We live in a different culture today. These are not our worry points. Uh, Most of us are not worried about where our next meal is coming from, right? Most of us are not worried about if we're going to have enough clothes to get us through the winter. That's not a worry that most of us have. But as our culture, we do have a different set of worries. So Jesus says this. Now he's going to go on. He's going to ask his first question. Here's his first question to us. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So here's the first question Jesus asks. Is life not more than the things that you worry about? Now, this is, by the way, a question of perspective. So Jesus says, let's just start here. A little perspective. Is life, is life not more than the things that you oftentimes are most worried about? Is, is, are the things you worry about, do you realize that a lot of times the things that we worry about are not the most significant things in life? They're not the summation of life. Is life, is life more, not more than money? Is life not more than your kid getting into the right college? Is life not more than making sure that no one messes with your car or messes with your health? Is life not more than your 401k? Is life not more than whatever it is? See, all Jesus is doing is he's saying, look at the broader picture, all right? A lot of times, the things that we worry about are not the most important things in life. And I think what he's pointing out is that for most of us, the stuff that we were probably really worried about five years ago, we don't even think about anymore. And be honest, the things that many of us are worried about today, we're probably not even going to think about five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. It's not going to be on there. He says, is life not more? So he asks a, a perspective-orienting question. And now he goes, I love what Jesus does next. Watch this. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I love this. Jesus, Jesus is trying to help us overcome worry, trying to help us think it through. He says, you want to overcome worry? You want to find victory over anxiety? Yeah, Jesus, I want to. What's your solution? He says, here's my solution. Look at the birds. And many of us are like, seriously? Is that where we're going here? So Jesus, your big grand solution to overcoming anxiety and stress is bird watching. 
He's like, yeah, yeah, look at the birds. And some of us were like, man, what is, what is this? What is, I don't have time to look at the birds, right? I gotta figure out my retirement. I don't have time to look at the birds, man. I'm trying to run a business. I don't have time to look at the birds. My kids, I have to make sure they're safe and I have to make sure things, I don't have time to look at the birds. And so when we read this, I think for some of us, we're like, is this just some kind of like surfer-esque mentality? Like, oh, don't worry, dude, just look at the birds. Is that what we're talking about? Is this just some hippie jargon? Like, is Jesus going to try to sell us essential oils now, right? Is that what's going on? Which, by the way, if you sell essential oils, I'm not saying you're a hippie, all right? But I'm not saying you're not. So that's important, all right? So he says, he says seriously, he says, look at the birds for a minute. Look at the birds. Now, notice what he says. He says, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, look at the words he uses. They don't sow or reap or store what are those words all about? Well, those are agricultural terms. Like I said, a lot of people back in this culture were farmers. So they would sow, they would reap, and then they would store. They'd stash away in their barns for a later day to make sure they had enough provision for the days to come. And Jesus says, but look at the birds. They don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. He says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, let me just clarify here, tell you what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not giving us a lesson in laziness. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, hey, look at the birds. They don't work. So you shouldn't work either. That's not what he's saying. If you look at a bird, you know that a bird works real hard. Birds wake up. Birds pull worms out of the ground. Birds build nests. Birds migrate. They do a lot of stuff. But what he's saying is that even though they work hard and they do their job and they do that whole kind of stuff, they're free from anxiety and they're free from worry. They don't feel the incessant need to be worried about the next day. They don't feel... A, a, a need to hoard and to, and to stockpile and to make sure that the next day is provided for. They're not worried about that. They're not concerned that tomorrow they're not going to get what they need. They're not concerned about that. He says they don't worry because their heavenly father feeds them. They don't worry about 401k. They don't worry about retirement. They don't worry about their kids getting into the right school. In fact, if I remember right, what birds do is they take their babies up all real up high in a big nest and then they shove them out, Right? which is a whole different method of parenting, right? But they're not worried about that. They're not worried about that. And then Jesus concludes. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? Another question, another question. This one's a rhetorical question a little bit. Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? To which the people in Jesus's times would say, well, absolutely. Of course we're more valuable than the birds. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but back in this time, it's very common for people to buy and sell animals. And the cheapest animal, I don't know if if you can probably guess, but the cheapest animal that you could buy for food or for sacrifice, which was a way of worshiping back then, was guess what? It was the, the bird. In fact, you see this in Mark chapter 10. Look what Mark 10 says. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That's pretty cheap. Two birds for a penny. That's how inexpensive they were. He says, and yet none of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So what's Jesus doing here? You think you see see what he's doing? He's saying, listen, think of the seemingly most insignificant animal back in this time. The most inexpensive, cheapest, most seemingly insignificant animal would be the birds. And Jesus says, think about them. Think about them. They They don't sow and reap and store away. And yet your father makes sure they have what they need every single day. And then he asks the question, are you not more valuable than them? Are you who is created in the image of God, according to Genesis chapter one. Are you, are you not more valuable than the birds? You, who are the crown jewel of God's creation here on earth, are you not more valuable 
than the birds? And of course, the answer is, of course you are. Of course you are to God. Jesus goes on, asks another question. This is an interesting question. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Uh, this is a question of value, right? He's like, just think about it. What's the point of worrying? What, what do you accomplish through worrying? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? Which, by the way, the answer to that question is, again, no. But here's the interesting thing. Ironically, you can't add anything to your life by worrying, but you can subtract stuff from your life by worrying, right? Uh, doctors tell us that, uh, that if you find yourself in a place of worry and anxiety, that causes stress on your body, and we are not intended to live in a constant state of stress. And so as a result of that, that leads to prehypertension, blood, uh, high blood pressure, insomnia, whole bunch of negative uh, health side effects that happen as a result of stress. So ironically, you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying, but you can subtract an hour of your life by worrying. You can subtract joy from your life by worrying. You can subtract sleep from your life by worrying. You can subtract enjoyment from your life from worrying. So Jesus says, can you add anything? Great question. Great question. Now watch what he says next. And why do you worry about clothes? Another question. Another question. Why are you worried about your clothes? I love this. See how the flowers of the field grow. All right, Jesus. First we're talking about birds. Now we're talking about flowers. He's like, no, 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 no. Seriously, think, think, think about it. He's like, they don't labor or spin. Now notice the language here, labor and spin. Again, that's how people would have made clothes back then. They would have worked. They would have worked a spindle to make their clothes. And watch what he says. He says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, you might not know that Solomon was the richest, wealthiest king in the history of Israel. In fact, someone told me between services last night during Saturday night services that Solomon is estimated to be the wealthiest man who ever lived. In modern terms, uh, his possessions and wealth would have accrued him, get this, he would have been worth 2.1 trillion with a T. Uh, the second most wealthiest person in history is John Rockefeller at 600 billion. King Solomon, 2.1 trill, right? This guy, this guy would have had the most kingly robes this guy would have dressed to the nines. This guy would have had the latest fashions. He would have been decadent. He was G'd up from the feet up, right? And yet in this passage, Jesus says he ain't got nothing on the flowers. The flower, God closed the flowers and even Solomon with 2.1 trill, he's got nothing on the flowers. And then he says this, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He says, man, if the, if the flowers, you know, that you walk on, if the flowers, you know, that are here today and the next season they die and then you pick them up and you throw them in the fire, if that's how God clothes them more, more um, royally and more beautifully than the richest man who ever walked the face of the earth, how much more is God going to provide for you, oh, you of little faith? So he's, now, now, what is Jesus doing here, by the way? For some of you, Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, so is Jesus saying that the way to overcome worry is through positive thinking? Is that what Jesus is saying? That when I'm worried, I just need to be more optimistic. I just need to think about birds. I need to think about flowers. I need to think about nice things like, you know, puppies and unicorns and rainbows and other things like that. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Now, listen, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying something much more profound here. Now, what is he saying? Well, here, here, here's what I want to show you. I want to get to, okay? So I want you to notice verse 26 and verse 28. Look at the words that he uses. He says, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. 
And verse 28, see how the flowers of the field. Now, these two words, look and see how, these are actually pretty soft translations in the English translation. If you were to go back into the Greek language, you would see that they are much stronger, much more emphatic words. So, for example, the word look literally means carefully observe. That's what it means. Pay close attention. Look intently, right? The word see how literally means deeply ponder. He says, fill your mind. Contemplate this. What is all this saying? Here's what I think it means. I think what Jesus is telling us is that one of the keys to overcoming worry for a person who follows Jesus, and I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus. Some of you are still trying to figure that out. But I think what he's saying is one of the keys to overcoming worry for a person who follows Jesus is ironically and strangely, contrary to what many people would tell us today, is not about thinking less. It's actually about thinking more. Now, let me explain what I mean. So if you were to go to modern psychology today or different websites, which I did, you will see that there are really two main remedies that people will give you to worry. And here they are. The first one, many people will tell you, is the key is that you need to be more optimistic. And so you need to look at the bright side. You, you, know, you need to think more optimistically, not pessimistically. The glass is half full, half empty. Be a half full kind of person. And so sure, in any scenario, there's bad things and there's good things, but just think about the good things and that's the way that you're going to overcome worry. Which, let me just say, I think there's a place for positive thinking. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, the other remedy uh, that psychologists will give us today is they'll say that you need to distract your worry. And so if you find yourself worried, you just need to, 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 to somehow shift your thinking to something else. Go for a jog, go work out, right? Uh, go watch a movie, do something else, distract your worry, and then hopefully by the time you come back, you won't be worried anymore, right? Which again, I think there's a, a place for working out and all that kind of stuff, and that has physiological effects, and it's great stuff. But Jesus is actually telling us something very different. He's saying that if you really want to overcome worry, the, the, the key is not to think less or to distract yourself. Key is actually to think more, to think more. You're like, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that this exposes for us a very deep misconception as it relates to faith. Here's a misconception. Some people will tell you that faith is the absence of thinking. You're worried? Stop thinking about it, just have faith. Stop worrying about it, just have, just have faith. You've got to have faith. Quit thinking about it. But that is not what Jesus says. Faith, Jesus says faith is not the absence of thinking. Faith is thinking through the implications of your faith what it is. Do you notice that's why he says in this verse, you have little faith? He says, think about, think about, the, the, think about the flowers. Think about, how, think about the implications of how God provides and he cares for them. He says, is he not going to care much more? You have little faith. Think it through. Think it through. Don't think less. Don't distract yourself. Don't go positive thinking. He says, no, think through the implications of your faith. Now, I know that for some of you, when I say that, that sounds really abstract. And so let me see if I can try to put some skin on it. All right, so let me see if I can make it real practical. And so what I want to give you is I want to give you something that I have found really helpful in my anxiety, in my stress. And I want to give you something that you can take with you today. This is something you could actually do this afternoon if you want to. I want to give you four questions, okay, four questions that you can process through in the face of worry, in the face of anxiety. So if you're a person that struggles with worry, anxiety, or the fear related to worry, you write these down. Take these with you because they're super helpful. They come right out of this passage. So there's really nothing new here.
but there are four simple questions I think you can ask that will help you think through and process through your faith if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, I do need to give a little credit where credit's due. Let me just mention that these four questions I'm gonna show you, they come right from this passage, but the first time they were, I was exposed to them was uh, through the teachings of a guy named Caesar Kalinowski. Caesar Kalinowski is a, uh, he's a ministry leader out in Seattle, Washington. He wrote an awesome book called The Bigger Gospel. I would commend it to you. I actually had a chance to hang out with this guy a few weeks ago when I was in Seattle. But these questions have been revolutionary for me, and I want to kind of help you process it through. So in the face of worry, in the face of anxiety, four questions that you can ask. Let me just show them to you and then make some connections. Here's the first one. Who is God? All right, now this, I know, sounds super basic, sounds super general, but this is actually the foundation for, 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 for everything as it relates to worry. As a matter of fact, I believe Jesus tells us that, that really at the, at the heart of worry is a misconception or a misunderstanding about this, about who God is. So for example, did you notice in verse 33, let's check this out real quick. At verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 31, Jesus says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now look at this. For the pagans run after these things. Now your heavenly father knows that you need them. You notice that? By the way, some of you might be like, what does that word mean? What is a pagan? It's kind of an archaic word. Well, that word pagan, it just simply is someone that, does, that lives as if there's no God, someone that believes there's no God. And so Jesus says, why are you worrying, saying these things? He says, that's what, it, when you're worrying, you're acting like a person that doesn't believe there's a God. You're, at, you're unintentionally, maybe for some of us, you're unintentionally acting as an atheist when you're full of worry. And so the first question that we have to ask is, who is God? Who is he? Who is God? Do you notice how over and over again in this passage that Jesus is trying to affirm to us that God is our heavenly Father? You notice how many times he says that in that passage? Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Your heavenly Father clothes the flowers. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, right? And what's he doing? He's trying to help us understand who God is. Man, God is your heavenly Father. He's heavenly, which means that he's powerful, that he's creator, that he's God, that he's provider, that he's sovereign, he knows everything, right? But he's father, which means he's close and he provides and he's intimate and he cares and he knows. He says, man, he's your heavenly father. So who is God? In the the face of anxiety and worry, who is God? Man, he's my provider. I'm not sure I'm gonna have enough money for whatever. Man, God's my provider. God, God, God is the one who knows what I need before I need it. In my singleness, man, I really want this to happen, but God, God knows me and he knows what I need more than anybody. Who is God? Here's a second question. What has he done? What has God done to prove that his character is true? So here be an example. You actually see it in this passage. Jesus says, God is your heavenly father and he will provide for you. Well, what has God done to prove that? What has he done to prove that? Jesus says, well, feeds the birds, doesn't he? He clothes the Clothes the flowers, better than Solomon, doesn't he, right? He, he takes care of the seemingly most insignificant aspects of creation. He is attentive and he is concerned and he provides for them. So yeah, he has proven himself to be an adequate provider, right? What has he done? What has he done in the Bible? What has God done in the Bible to prove that he is an adequate provider? Well, he gave manna to the Israelites in the wilderness in the Old Testament. How about this one? He gave us Jesus, to, to be the atonement for our sins, that we would be able to have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's pretty big, right? 
So what has he done? How about this? What has he done in your life? What has God done in your life to prove that he's an adequate provider? And I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can start doing that math real quick. I know I can't. I think back, and I'm like, man, I remember that time, and we weren't sure how ends were going to meet, and I would, but then we were like not sure what was going to happen, and then that check came in the mail, and just at the right time, man, God was so faithful. He always provides, right? So who is God? What has he done? Here's the third question you think through. So now, in light of who God is and what he's done, what's true of me? What is true of me? Do you notice that Jesus does this? He says, listen, God's your father. He can provide for you. What has he done? He's provided for the birds. He's provided for the flowers. So what's true of me? You are more valuable than the flowers. You are more valuable than the birds. What's true of you? The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a dearly loved child of God. That's what's true of you. And so all of this leads to a conclusion. And what's the conclusion? The final question. So now, in light of who God is, in light of what he's done, in light of what's true of me, how do I now get to respond? How do I get to live now as a response to the things that God has done for me? And I want you to notice that in this passage, every single time Jesus says, don't worry, it is always the end result of this process. It is always the conclusion. So let me just show you. Verse 25, Therefore, what do you mean therefore? In light of who God is and in light of what he's done and in light of who you are, don't worry. So, what do you mean so? Because of who God is, because of what he's done and because of who you are, don't worry. Therefore, verse 34, don't worry. What do you mean therefore? In light of who God is, in light of what he's done, in light of who you are, you don't have to worry. Now, I re- the reason I think it's so important that we understand that this is always the conclusion that this is the conclusion and not the starting place is because for so many of us, maybe for so many years, when we read Jesus say, don't worry, the way that we tend to interpret that is we tend to, we tend to read it this way, that Jesus is saying, you should not worry. And many, maybe for some of us, we have felt this way. When we read a passage and Jesus says, don't worry, the way we read that is we are full of guilt. And so we're like, I, I know, God, I should not worry. I know you say that I, should, like, I shouldn't do that. Like God's upset with us. Like, oh, you're worrying? Just quit it. Just don't, right? Just don't stop believing. That's a journey reference, right? Because it just happened to work there, right? Hold on to that feeling, right? So don't, he's like, but a lot of us think that, man. Like, so we get worried and we're like, oh, I know, I know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. So I'm gonna try not to because God says I shouldn't. And you guys know as well as I do, if you try not to worrying by trying not to worry, that doesn't do anything. But listen, I think in light of this passage, the better way to read it is more like this. I think what Jesus is saying is you need not. It's not should not. You know, you shouldn't. He's like, no, you needn't. You don't need to. Because of who God is, think it through, man. Because of who God is, because of what he's done, because of who you are, you don't have to worry. You don't need to worry. You need not. Now, by the way, I think the difference between these two terms is really a big difference. Even though it seems like semantics, huge difference. The difference between these two words, I believe, is the difference between religion and grace. Now, here's religion. Religion is a bunch of should not. You should not do this. You should not do that. You, sh- you should not, you know, whatever. Don't do, stop. Just quit it, right? That's a lot of religion. Christian, and wh- why? Why should I not? Because God said so. Don't, right? But this is grace. Grace says, no, 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 you don't need to. Your heavenly father loves you, cares for you because of what God has done and because of who you are. You don't need to. You don't need to worry. 
thinking about this difference this week between the difference between should not and need not. And uh, the, the, it reminded me a little bit of my, my middle son. So I got three kids, and my middle son is six. His name is Leland. And this kid is, uh, and I'm probably biased, but he is just one of the most imaginative, creative kids I've ever experienced. He says the funniest stuff. He comes up with the craziest ideas. He's just really creative. And, uh, and because he's so imaginative, he is the most inclined of all of our kids to be scared about unreasonable things. And so uh, like a couple months ago, we were, we were having a family night, and we kind of all got together, and we were going to watch a movie. And so we all got around the TV, and we opened up Netflix, and we were looking for an appropriate movie to watch. And we came across Jumanji. You guys remember that movie? Uh, Jumanji. I think it was in the 90s or something. It's like a mediocre movie. Robin Williams, it's like, if you've never seen it, the premise of the movie is there's this board game. It's like a jungle-themed board game. And whatever happens in the game comes to life. It happens in real life. So, so like, there's monkeys in the game, and there's lions in the game. There's all these, you know, kind of these, these jungle animals. And there's this one scene, I don't, if you remember Jumanji, because I know you, you like Jumanji so much. But if you remember this one scene, there's a scene where there's this, like, big old, like, flowery plant that comes alive and tries to eat people. And it's clearly a guy in a costume, but it's just like this thing, you know, kind of whatever. So we watched the movie. The whole thing happens, and we're done. A few days later, um, we were, I was tucking my kids in to bed. And as I was getting ready to, to turn the lights off, I could see pretty clearly that my, my son, Leland, my six-year-old, his, he was really wor- he had this really worrisome face, uh, look on his face, really distraught. And so I was like, what? I was like what's the matter, buddy? And uh, kind of like with a quivering voice, because he was real scared. He goes... I don't want to go to bed. He goes, and I don't want you to shut the light off, you know? And I was like, well, why not? And with tears in his eyes, he goes, I'm scared. And I was like, oh, I said, well, what are you, what are you, so I, you know, kind of came over, I'm like, what are you scared about, man? You know, what's going on? I said, what are you scared of? He goes, plants that eat people. <laughs> and it was funny, because it had been, it had been a few days since we had seen the movie, so I was like, plants that eat people? What are you talking about? You know? And so then finally I was like, Oh, Jumanji. I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I said, oh, buddy. I said, are you talking about Jumanji? And he's like, you know? And I was like, oh, man. So I kind of sat down on his bed. I was like, hey, buddy. I said, listen, you know those plants that eat people in Jumanji? He's like, yeah. I was like, you know, those aren't real. I said, there are no plants that eat people. And then I started thinking. I was like, is that true? Are there plants that <laughs> eat people? Maybe there are, but if they are, they're not in Northeast Ohio. So we're like, we're safe, you know? And so I said, buddy, I said, there's no plants that eat people. He said, really? I said, yeah, that's not real. He said, that's not real. And he's like, yeah, but I get scared of them. I said, but dude, they're not real. They're not real. I said, so, I said, listen, so next time you get scared and, and you can, and I said, and even though you can see it so vividly in your mind and even though you can imagine it so clearly, I just want you to remember in those moments that you could just tell yourself, it's not real. It's not real. I said, and listen, you don't need to be scared. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to be scared because it's not real. It's not real. So think it through, right? You could think it through. And now, I did say to him, I said, but listen, now, even though those plants aren't real, I said, there are really spiders that can kill you. And that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't say that to him. You know. I, I was just like, dude, that's, you know. But listen, here's what I did not tell my son. I did not tell my son, hey, every time you think of those scary plants that eat people, just think happy thoughts. Just change your thinking. Just think about something else, right? Think about something funny. Think about cats wearing socks. I don't know, why something, you know? That's not what I told him. I didn't say distract yourself. I didn't tell him, nor did I tell him, listen, buddy, you should not be scared of that. What is your problem? Man, you're six years old. Cut it out. That's not what I told him. It's be ridiculous. I said, no, buddy, you don't need to be scared. You don't need to be scared. Think it through. Think it through. Listen, 
I think our heavenly father would look at us in the face of worry, in the face of anxiety, and he would say, hey, hey, think it through. Think it through. You don't need to be. And your heavenly father, he cares for the birds. Your heavenly father cares for the flowers. Man, he clothes the flowers better than Solomon. You're, you're worth so much more to him. And so because of who you are, because of who he is, because of what he's done, you don't need to. You need not worry. And our Heavenly Father says, you get to live a life of freedom in this way. You get to be a generous person. You don't have to always be worried about having enough tomorrow. You get to be this way now because you need not worry. And I love the way Jesus kind of finishes this. By the way, if you notice in verse 33, this is kind of his big conclusion. He says, but, which means instead of worrying... (laughs) Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things. What things? Like the stuff you were worried about. Now, that'll be taken care of too. God will take care of the rest of that. You don't have to worry about that stuff either. Interesting, I love the way that Jesus ends this. You notice he goes full circle. Because at the beginning, Jesus says, what you're the most devoted to is what you worry about the most. And so he kind of poses an interesting thought. What if you changed what you were devoted to? What would happen to your worry? If, if my worry reveals what I'm most devoted to and there's, a, and there's a link between those two, what if I change my devotion? What could happen to my worry? So he says, seek first God. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first him. And all this other stuff, when you become devoted to him, all of a sudden everything shifts and your worry shifts along with it. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they do, I wanna leave you with one final question. And this is a question just for you to process through. Uh, as we worship and we sing between you and God, just, uh, just something you, guys, you, you can interact with him about. But here's the final question I just want you to think about. Why do you worry? In light of our conversation, in light of what, what it is that we talked about today, in light of this passage, how would you answer that question? Why, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Maybe for some of you, as you interact with God, being honest, you might say, you know, the reason I worry is because I got some misplaced devotion. There, there are things in my life that I am devoted to that I have allowed to take the seat of God. I am mastered by those things. And so maybe you want to come to God and say, man, God, I, my, my devotion has shifted and I want to be devoted to you. Would you help me? Would you confess that? Be honest to him, with him. And maybe say, man, God, I want to place my devotion back in you. I don't want to live in a life of worry. I, I don't need to worry because of who you are. Maybe for some of you, thinking about this question, why do you worry? Maybe the reason you worry is because you've never done this math before. Maybe for you, your whole life, you're just like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't, I gotta quit it, God doesn't want me to. And maybe for the first time you realize, no, no, it's not that you should not, it's you need not. Maybe you've never made that connection before, that man, because of who God is, and because of what he's done, and because of who you are, you don't have to worry. And man, maybe for you there's liberation today. You can breathe that in, right? Maybe for some of you, quite honestly, the reason that you worry is because God's not your father. And you know, the, the, the reality is you might be a person who would say that you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never embraced Christ by faith. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. But listen, maybe you have found that you are worried in your life and, you, and, you, and you, it seems like it's paralyzing at times. And listen, maybe the reason for that is because you, you've never put your trust in your heavenly father. Listen, I would encourage you, man, you can do that today. Because the, the bad news is that not everyone can be a child of God. Not everyone can be called a child of God. But here's the good news is that God invites everyone to be in his family by faith in Christ. And if you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you are adopted as a son or a daughter into his family. And you can have that. That can be yours. And this, your heavenly father loves you and he wants to take care of you. 
and he, and, he, and he provides for us, and that's available to you. And you can just talk to God about that. You can, between your heart and his heart, there's not a magic prayer, there's no kind of magic formula. You could just talk to him, and you could just say, man, God, you know, I've tried to define and direct my life on my own, and all of my greatest, you know, attempts have led me exactly nowhere, and man, I, I, wanted, I want you to define and direct my life. I want you to be my master. I want you to be my God. And you could just talk to God, and you can do that. And today, he can become your heavenly father. So as we worship, as we sing, would you process, would you pray, would you answer this question honestly between you and God in light of our conversation? Let's pray. Well, God, the, the conversation of worry and anxiety is one that uh, it, it hits our hearts because, God, we, we live in this realm a lot. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't just stop at don't. <laughs> if you just said don't worry, uh, Man, God, that would be, uh, that'd be really difficult for us. We wouldn't, you know, it would, be, um, Lord, it, would be, it would be burdensome. But the fact that you have given us so much more than that, that you've really helped us explain why we don't have to worry, why we need not worry, Lord. There's liberation and freedom in that. And so I pray that today you would help our hearts just to cling to that. And Lord, as we think about the things that we're the most worried about in this life, as we think about the things we're most concerned about, Father, I pray that you would help give us freedom and liberation from living a life of, of uh, just anxiety, perpetual anxiety. Help us to rest, to do our best, to work as unto you, to strive with the energy that you've given us, but then just to, to find rest in trusting that you got it, man. And you've been, you know, you've been running this universe and you have been putting all things together and you have been feeding every animal, the birds, you've clothed the flowers, you've taken care of every little aspect of creation, even the seemingly most insignificant, you are pretty capable of taking care of us. And so I pray that you would help us to put our trust in you, Father. Help us to find freedom over worry and anxiety. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name.